Hey, Serial Spirit listeners, Cece here, the host of the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. We focus on cases based in my wonderful home state of Oklahoma. And since the term Sooner actually refers to the state's very first true crime, Cheaters in the Land Run, Oklahoma is definitely a crime state. Sooner State True Crime can be found in most podcast apps or visit our website, anchor.fm slash crime state. New episodes are released twice a month. Follow us on Twitter at Crime State for upcoming episodes and more. So come away with me and discover my crime state on the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. Alright guys, welcome to this serial snippet. This is the first serial snippet of 2020. Yes, we've had some cool episodes that we've done, Annie and me, and they've all been interviews. And this snippet's gonna be an interview too. And it's just just how the dog rolls, man. You know, it just it happens that way. You find all these cool topics, these cool people willing to talk about it, and bickety band, there you go. We got we got some interviews for you, some stuff to do. But we've been in this whole strange realm right now of high strangeness and missing people and conspiracies that I just want to go a step further and talk about something that's been around for a while now. And a lot of people talk about it on Reddit. Uh, there's Facebook groups. There's a whole bunch of things. It's the missing 411. And I've, you know, a lot of my friends talk about it. One of them I'm ha- I have on with me right now. Well, we're going to bring him on and we're going to talk about this because I know he's done a lot of research into it and has had interest in it for a long time. But uh, this missing 411 stuff really, it's weird because it does try tie the true crime into it, but it also teeters on conspiracy and possibly paranormal realm because of where these things happen. And if you look at the patterns, how all this stuff goes down, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's mind-boggling. But today, like I said, we're going to be talking about the missing 411, and we're going to be talking about Dave Pilates, who is the guy who basically is the mastermind, I would say, or the main researcher behind all this stuff, who brought it out in the forefront, who put these patterns together. And this guy, of course, like a lot of people we know who are into the 40 and who are into the paranormal was a former police detective from San Jose Police Department. Since his retirement, Pilates has written books on Bigfoot as well as the many, many people who've disappeared in state and national parks throughout the U.S. and Canada and abroad. Most notable books are The Missing 411, and uh, also he's got a couple video documentaries on this subject. Now, when I first heard this, I was like, why 411? And I guess it kind of makes sense because when you... I don't know if Mike remembers this when we bring him on, but uh, when I was a kid, if you wanted information, you dialed 411 to find a number of your friend, your family, or whatever. You could if you didn't have their phone number. You dialed information. That's what it was. And he put the two together, missing 411, because we want more information on the 411. So makes sense, right? But I'm going to go ahead and bring on my good friend, Mike Shields. He is one of my... Good friends, and we go together every year to the Mothman Festival. So we've investigated, you know, some 
crazy stuff together, and I know he's done his research on this 411. Mike Shields, are you there? Oh, yes, I'm here. Sorry to ramble on in the beginning. That's what I'm known for is rambling. I ramble on in a lot of these episodes. But how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, man. So this is your first time, long-time listener, first-time caller, right? Yes. For Serial Spirits. <laughs> yes, first time. So I know you've dug deep into this. We've talked about it before. We've sat around drinking beers at Mothman Festival after we investigated the TNT bunkers, kind of talking about some of this weird, crazy 411 stuff. I mean, let's just get right into it right now. I know you have a couple cases that you looked into you want to talk about, but isn't this kind of crazy? Like, give a little bit of background, more background about this stuff from the research that you've done on it. Well, um, David Politis, uh, another thing he is known for is uh, he does a lot of Bigfoot research and he does have some Bigfoot books. And sometimes people kind of conflict the two and put it together that this missing 411 is David Plaitis. Also, he's known for he never says what he thinks it is. He doesn't give his opinion. And it lends a lot to a lot of people thinking that he thinks it's Bigfoot. But he has straight out said that he doesn't believe that, at least not in all the cases. Um, but I, I did print out some stuff and I do have like a list of common Common traits or things that Politis points out is common in a lot of the missing cases. And I didn't know if you'd want to go over those. Yeah, definitely. You know, because it's kind of weird. If you start to look at some of these patterns that Mike's going to get into, uh, it ties into a lot of the cave systems in the United States. It ties into a lot of the national parks, state and national parks. And people believe for years that these, especially the national parks, are some kind of cover for the government. And uh, these people go missing and they're never heard from or found again. Nothing remains, at least the stuff that I've read. And it's just it's odd. So, yeah, let's get right into some of these patterns and some of the information that you found on this, because it is very, very interesting. OK, well, uh, the way I'll just go through the list here. Um, whenever they bring uh, search dogs in to look for the missing people. Uh, it's very common that these search dogs won't search, can't find descent, or re will refuse to search. Two, uh, when body when they do find bodies of the missing, sometimes the lots of times the bodies are found where they've already been searched, where it's and and in a few cases even on a commonly traveled path that they would go into the woods and pass this one area every day, and then that's where they would find the body. Like someone had just dropped it there or it had just appeared there overnight. Um, lots of times the people are found at extreme distances from where they're at. And the thing that makes that odd is it's often small or young kids. And they're, it's more common for them to be found uphill than downhill. There's cases where you're talking three and four year old kids that are found two and 3000 feet up the side of a mountain along with the dogs, not searching. Another one is uh, weather. It's very common for once uh, the person disappears, as soon as they start uh, searching, uh, bad weather will set in making the search more difficult. People often are missing their clothing or remove their clothing, whether they're found or not. Sometimes they do find the clothing because it's very common for, for people to take off their clothes and shoes. Um, they've also said that, uh, the uh, it's common for the people to either one be the people that disappear to either one be extremely intelligent on the high end of the intellectual scale, or they are uh, have disabilities or Down syndrome or something to that effect. The numbers show that the most common genealogy of people that disappear is German. 
the, these are all things Politis says. Some of them seem, you know, like they could be a bit of a stretch, but just looking at the numbers, this is what he's come up with. You know what? Like, what's odd about this? The, he's done his research. He's done it. He's put these patterns together. He's 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 looked into cases from all over the country, and it takes a lot of time to painstakingly put patterns like this together. But if I can parallel it a little bit to the paranormal, I mean, they say that people who have higher intelligence are more tapped into something. They also say that people who are autistic or have some kind of mental disability are also tapped higher into something. And to me, that, you know, would make sense that if this is something paranormal or something, you know, ultra terrestrial or dimensional or something like that, that they are able to feel or maybe receive these telepathic messages from something telling them to come somewhere. One of the other main things is uh, people tend to disappear near boulder and granite fields, uh, mostly granite and Coincidentally, Yosemite is like the largest granite field area, and it's also the largest area for disappearing people. A couple other things, just simple uh, people, this, and this is an odd one, but berries, people tend to disappear around berry bushes or picking berries. People often say they're tired or not feeling well just before they disappear. And then when it's groups of people, and sometimes people disappear almost out of like real close to other people and they just disappear. And so they're say being the last person in a line of people is often the person that disappears. And that's what I have for common similarities. Yeah. It's crazy that, you know, he spent a lot of time doing his research, his due diligence, putting these patterns together. And the stuff's not easy because you really have to dig into a case to find a lot of these things and missing persons or, you know, if they find a body or something like that, a lot of times it's hard to have access to it. And he probably, you know, is able to to do it because he was a former police officer and he understands the detective work and what it takes to find some of these answers. But what I find weird is all the weird parallels to the paranormal field. You know, you talked about people with disabilities are people who go missing. They are, say, to be tapped into some type of paranormal, you know, phenomenon with psychic abilities or they're just you know they're it's something can talk to them without hesitation as opposed to people who are not disabled people with higher intelligence the same thing they're tapped into something higher and you put all these things together and it makes sense you know the stones the rocks like you said yosemite national park is that what you said yosemite with granite yes yes granite is uh a big a big one there because it's supposed to be like it defeats negativity and it it creates a strengthening energy field you know people carry granite stones in their pockets for for good energy and that kind of stuff so all these things combined make for a i'm going to use a zach bagans quote here a (laughs) cauldron of paranormal activity and i'm one of these people that i hear about all this stuff and you want to tie it together and make it about something that we don't understand because we don't. And I believe it does have something to do with maybe portals opening or aliens or maybe even Bigfoot stealing people, but something where these people just end up obviously somewhere that they don't know where they're at. And then, you know, you've said it. Sometimes kids are found 2000 feet up a mountain when they're like two and three years old. It's like, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, I'll, I'll go on the record right now and say like, a lot of these cases, and I mean, he has, I think, almost uh, 1,400 cases. A lot of them, you could look at them and, and come up with 
a pretty sensible answer. But the ones that fascinate me are the ones that seem like there's no easy solution. Like it almost has to have some kind of paranormal kind of aspect to it. And you said about portals, and that's my favorite theory. The ones where it it almost seems like the person just disappeared. And I do have a few cases here where I think that's demonstrated. Oh, yeah, that, you know, tickles my funny bone, my paranormal funny bone, because anybody who's been listening to Serial Spirits long enough knows that the theories that I have that this stuff's got to have something to do with interdimensional travel. And I mean, this stuff is it just makes sense. It makes sense to the point that it doesn't make sense for people who don't want to believe it. But it, it makes sense to people who do believe it, because where do these people go? I mean, they have to go somewhere. And how far away? Like, that, that really got me. Like you said, people will they'll search this area. They have this whole grid. And when they search for people, they set up grids and everything like that. It's a full on, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a full on. I can't think of the word. <laughs> I'm not being a help either. It's like a, it's, you know, they have it down to a science where they're like, we're putting all these grids out, these patterns. This is where we're going to search. We're going to search here. We're going to search there. You're going to go here. They're going to go here. When this is done, we're going to go back and recomb this and canvas this area. And they go into places that they've searched before and they find the person in the middle of the trail or in an obvious place that they should have been found the first time. And there they are. It's weird, man. Oh, yeah. Super weird. So let's get into some of these cases that you're talking about, because, you know, I I haven't done a lot of research into this. I've only like, you know, I'm part of that Facebook group, uh, the Missing 411 Facebook group. And I see some of the posts only because I try to get cases for the show. But I know, you know, there's a lot of strange cases out there. And I know you looked into a couple of them. So since we were talking about portals and this one just seemed like it, it's one aspect to it that. Like, I don't know how else you would explain it. Man's name of Colin Finnery, and he was actually a college football star. He went on a fishing trip. During his fishing trip, he called his wife and uh, claimed that he was being followed and that he was frightened. He was breathing heavily, and uh, oddly, he said that he was going to start taking off his clothes without giving any reason why. And shortly after that, his phone was off. So the police started searching for him. And uh, while they were searching for him, they were pinging his phone. It was when his wife uh, must have had an app where she could ping his phone. This happened in 2013. So we're talking smartphone Whoa, technology. Where was this at? Where? Um, Michigan. Fishing trip on the Baldwin River in Michigan. And his wife must have had the ability to GPS or ping his phone. And it showed that he was near where he was supposed to be on his fishing trip. A little bit later, when the police went to look for him, they were using that same technology to ping his phone while they were pinging his phone. They would, it would show up and they would go to that location and there was nothing there. He wasn't there. None of his items were there. They would ping the phone again and it would be a mile away and they would go immediately there and he wouldn't be there. And I think they pinged his phone three or four times and went to the locations and did not find him. I, I just and, Google Earth Baldwin River. It doesn't look like it's a huge river. Like, you know, it's not like the Ohio River or anything like that. But, I mean, it looks like a pretty remote area. Yeah, and then they they did find him around a week later. He was They found him dead in, de- in a dense wooded area about one mile from where his, he was fishing. And there were no, sh- no signs of trauma or injuries. And he was well-dressed for the 
weather conditions, oddly enough, was not nude like he said he was going to take his clothes off on the phone call. Um, and the autopsy was inconclusive. No drugs, negligible amounts of alcohol, and no external injuries. It was inconclusive because they couldn't find anything or is inconclusive because they didn't want to report what the findings were? Um, the best they could come up with was because of his football injuries that he did take oxycodone on occasion. And they said a combination of basically oxycodone and, and a cold, which is not a very solid conclusion. No, I mean, that's kind of a BS answer. But yeah. I mean, he, he he was found with clothes on and he was dressed appropriately, but he was nowhere near where he originally yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a mile from where he was supposed to be fishing. And, and, he, and it was in a dense wooded area, like not on the path or on a road or anything. I mean, yeah, it's kind of strange because, I mean, it, the strange part about it is what he says to his wife, that he wanted to take his clothes off. And he's found dead in the woods. I mean, he's not too far away from where he was fishing, but it's still, it's an odd kind of odd kind of thing in it in a densely wooded area on a river perfectly healthy guy found dead in the woods there's just so many good cases when you you if you sit down at the computer and you search strangest missing 411 cases you can be there a while oh i bet it's like diving into a wormhole like everything else you sit there and you just keep finding something more fascinating <laughs> and like you know he obviously spent a lot of time going with a fine tooth comb through all these case files to figure out all of these all over the country. It's, it's insane. The similarities are insane. That's why I wanted to cover it. Cause it's a weird, a weird thing. And he also has some books out about um, disappearances in cities. And I personally think that the ones in cities, like I have not found very many cases that I really think could not be easily explained. As soon as you have a disappearance, even if it's, if it's quick or mysterious, if it's in the middle of a city where there's people everywhere, I mean, things things could happen. Well, yeah, quickly. especially with all the sex trafficking stuff that's going on. I mean, that's a huge deal, especially Ohio, I think, is ranked number five where I'm from, or originally where I'm from. It's uh, ranked number five in the country for sex trafficking because it's close proximity to a bunch of airports and Canada. But some of them people just disappear without a trace. Nobody knows what happens to them. I would I would honestly put my finger on some of that being in a big city or something like they just disappear without a trace. Well, somebody took them for an activity like that. You know, they're either it's human trafficking, sex trafficking, some kind of human, you know, tragedy there that somebody else caused. Somebody else did it. So another one. And this one, I think, also kind of kind of can go with a portal theory but this one could also be looked at as maybe alien or something like that but on february 1977 24 year old stephen kubaki was cross-country skiing near lake michigan that's another michigan case Ooh, another michigan it. i didn't plan it that way anyway once he reached the edge of the lake he took his skis off and sat down to rest um when he got up to leave though his tracks were gone and and he became lost and the last thing he remembers was walking through the snow, feeling numb and exhausted, and apparently he blacked out. Well, to him, it felt like he immediately woke up. Also, this is a case where the person actually returned. He woke in a grassy field in a forest wearing clothes that weren't his. And sitting next to him was a stranger's backpack with running shoes and glasses that didn't belong to him either. Uh, he walked to the nearest town and found out that he was in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Seven on 700 miles from where he was skiing 
and his aunt and father lived in Pittsfield. So he went to their house. He had been missing for 14 months. Um, when they searched for him after he had disappeared, the search team found his ski poles and skis at the edge of the lake. And there was only one set of footprints leading to the water and none walking away. So easily they assumed that he had drowned in the water and they assumed he was dead. How crazy is that? He ends up in Massachusetts, but he not only does he end up in Massachusetts completely hours and hours away, probably what, 10, 15 hours away from where he was, but he ends up in a town that his family lives in. I mean, that's yeah. kind of, that's, that's an odd coincidence. Yeah. And, and the official explanation, the best explanation they could come up with is that he had amnesia and he was wandering, uh, in a fugue state, but can you really wander in a fugue state for 14 months? Uh, with stuff that's not yours. I mean, he, they, did they ever identify whose possessions he had? Uh, like a lot of the missing 411 cases, there are some details that are missing that you would think that's something that could be found out, but you can't find the information. Yeah, but this guy actually uh, changed his, after this happened to him, he was so uh, baffled by it that he took up uh, psychology instead of whatever his major was. Oh, um, linguistics. And he went back to school for psychology and he's actually written a book called Mathematical Foundations of Existence, Godel, Quantum, God, and Beyond. And he writes about the possibility of alternate universes. Sweet. I'll have to check that out and I'll have to see if I can get a hold of that guy. Cause I mean, that's a pretty bizarre case. He ends it up like, how do you end up in a completely different state and not realize it? We're not doing well, the whole Walter White thing here. You know, was he cooking meth out in the desert and didn't want his family to know? And so he created the fuke steak to end up somewhere else. You know, 14 months is a long time to be missing. Yeah. And, and to travel that far, I mean, I guess you could easily travel that far in that amount of time, but to have no memory of it. Did you, did you actually see in 2018 where almost the same thing happened, but it was only a week long? No. Because this one, they, I've still heard talk about lately. Um, in uh, February 2018, a man named Danny Philippidis, a Canadian man, was in New York skiing with his friends. Um, they were all finished and they got ready to go to the lodge. He said he wanted to go for one more run down the mountain and he would meet them. After that, he didn't return any phone calls, texts, and his friends couldn't find him. And they began searching for him. He was gone a whole week and his wife got a call from California and he was incoherent and confused and actually hung up on her. And she called back and he was still confused and she called 911 and got him help. Uh, he was still wearing his ski gear, but he had a fresh haircut and he had a cell phone that was brand new that was not his. What and, uh, you know, 2018, this is pretty fresh. And from what I've read, people have still, they try to talk to him about it and he gets emotional and doesn't want to talk about it like something about it scares him he has like a travis walton experience some of these cases i can honestly 100 percent attest to being legit where people have no recollection of some things but there's other cases maybe they were into something illegal and they got involved with something they shouldn't have but it just how do you like go back to the guy who was gone for 14 months if he legitimately was gone has no recollection of this. Think about like, I guess human traits or human instinct. He's eating, he's drinking, he's surviving. And then he gets his memory back and has no recollection of what happened. But all them things, like he's still doing that. Was he somewhere? Was he being held somewhere? Like it's, it's kind of nuts. It's like, like 14, 14 months is a long time. It's depending on how paranormal you want to go into it and what you think could happen. But it, 
you would think it was almost like somebody else was controlling him. Yeah. Which is like, another theory that true. people have yeah. that like people aren't necessarily going into a fugue state, but it's almost like somebody took control of them for whatever amount of time. You know what? Honestly, I didn't even think about that sitting here. I, that, that didn't even cross my mind. And that's like totally a valid point too. Like these people are being controlled by the government, by something else to do a task that you said in the beginning, there's all these different traits, people who are intelligent, you know, they have this high intelligence. Well, maybe they need their brain for something. Everyone I've seen. Let's do a couple more and then we can wrap this up. We'll give our final thoughts. Since I've done ones where they find the people, I was trying to find one here where they found the person deceased instead of alive. Because to be honest, most of the cases, that is what happens. They either don't find them or they find them deceased. There's actually kind of rare that they find them alive. That's another thing. A lot of the ones that are found alive are kids that are unable to speak about what happened. Or you have the one kid, and I don't have anything here with me on this. I just know I've heard about it enough, that claimed that he was with a copy. He called her robot grandma. He was with a robot grandma and that sparks were shooting out of her neck. But she took care of him and he was returned. And I can't tell you his name because I don't have the information here. But it, if you search Robot Grandma, you will find information on that one. Robot Grandma. That's another one of the oddest ones. Oh, you, I'm going down this wormhole after we're done talking here. I'm, I got I to gotta look into Robot Grandma because that's, uh, that's something I want to figure out what that's about. Uh, June 2005, Todd Gieb, I guess is how you'd say his name, attended a bonfire party. Uh, he lived about a mile and a half away, so whenever... He, it got late. He told the party and everybody that he was going back to his place and he left between 1247 and 1257 AM. The next day he wasn't at his home. So they started looking for him. There was a massive search, uh, 1,500 police and volunteers, as well as aircraft. That was June 12th on June 5th, three weeks after he was gone missing, he was found, uh, but there were several things off about it. Uh, the body was found in a pond in the middle of the area that the search had completely and thoroughly combed. And the body was reported as being discovered standing upright in the water with the head and shoulders breaking the surface. Uh, autopsy concluded that he had no external injuries and had a blood alcohol of 0.12. The case was closed, but there are uh, lots of people don't buy the official ruling. Um, even though he was missing for three weeks, the autopsy showed that he had only been dead for two to five days and he had no water in his lungs. So what, where was this one at? I'll give you a guess. Once again, Michigan. Michigan? Yes. Wow. Michigan. I, you have a lot of these cases. I was going to say, whenever I was looking through the ones that I wanted to talk about, I really barely noticed took notice of where these were all at and uh, all the ones I've done so far, which seem to be like the weirdest ones are Michigan. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Like I said, in the beginning, there is, there's a map out there that you can see that he's done research and he shows pinpoints on all these places where these events have happened. And they do, they take place by these cave systems, by these national parks all over the country and Canada. Mike, we're going to wrap this up here. Okay. Uh, but I want to get your final thoughts on this. I know you've been interested in this for a long, long time. And, I mean, to me, 
I'm I'm a newbie when it comes to it because I just I really got into it. But as far as missing persons goes, I mean, people think that it's just something that happens in true crime or by accident. But do you think there's something otherworldly afoot here? I, I think that's why I'm fascinated by this. And like I said, I think if there's 1,400 cases approximately, I think a lot of them, maybe even the majority of them, could have a pretty reasonable explanation that that still leaves you with nearly 50% that are somewhat odd. And then, you know, even 10% that are extremely odd and almost like the people just disappeared completely and just popped back up some somewhere else or like they were taken from somewhere and dropped somewhere else. And I think those ones are the weirdest ones. Uh, like lots of people think Bigfoot and there's even some cases where, you know, uh, something happened and people witnessed what they thought looked like a Bigfoot or a large hairy man. So I think that the missing 411, I don't really think that there is one solid answer for all of it. I think there's a little bit of everything for everybody as far as uh, paranormal and true crime and all that goes. But yeah, the, what fascinates me is the paranormal aspect of it. Well, I mean, we all we all want to solve that mystery, and I think that's what's so interesting to me about it too is that it's the mystery, it's the mystery aspect of it, it's the not knowing, it's the wanting to figure it out. But it also makes you want to be the person that's like, okay, I'm going to go into these caves, or I want to go into these national forests, find these places where it happened, and maybe I'll appear 14 months later in a fugue state somewhere else. But yeah. but not really. Yeah, I, I don't want that to happen. No, no not really. And um, our friend Brad actually reminded me the other day of a uh, time when we were younger. And Pennsylvania is supposed to be one of the hot spots too, for missing 411. Uh, he reminded me about uh, when we were in high school one time. When we, we tended to wander out into the woods because that's where we live, the middle of nowhere. So if you wanted to entertain yourself, you'd just go looking for animals or wandering out into the woods. And I honestly had forgotten about this until he reminded me, but we would ride our bikes way out this path to this uh, place they called the cut, which was like a Valley through the woods. And we just kind of wander around out there and get into things. And we were out there one day and it got completely quiet. And just, just before it got quiet, we were looking at a tree that looked like it had been called on like you might think a bear or something, but it was really high up and we had just taken notice to it. And shortly after that, like it just got as quiet as it's ever been in the woods from being a normal, you know, birds chirping and you hear squirrels jumping through the woods and it got completely silent. And he looked at me and said, I think we need to get out of here. And, uh, we, we tore the hell out of there on our bikes and, uh, didn't go back for a while. I always, you know, tell people that there's magic in in the hills of West Virginia here, and I spend a lot of time in the woods at night. Me and my my uh, brother-in-law Taylor, we, we're coon hunters. We we go hunting raccoons, and there's some nights you get out there, and it's just the the woods just feel so weird. And like we're in the mountains too, so you can get to points where you're like in these hollers. And the air temperature is colder and it just feels ominous. And you can know, and, and those always seem to be the nights where we don't see anything, where we don't hear anything. The only thing we hear moving are the dogs sniffing around in the woods. And, you know, I always tell people, you go with your gut, man. If something doesn't feel right, get out of there. So maybe, maybe you had a close encounter with some 411 incident that you evaded somehow. Yeah, maybe it's, it's a possibility. I mean, it's, 
when I first found out about the missing 411 stuff that my first thought was, man, I like camping and I'm not as excited to go camping right now because <laughs> just the thought of being in the woods and you being gone and nobody being able to have the slightest idea of where you went or how you disappeared. It's just super strange. Well, Mike, if people want to talk to you about this more, where can they find you? Um, we have a Facebook group that is called um, Missing 411 Mysteries Discussion Group. Um, currently, we have it closed for membership because we get so many members. Every time David Politis is on Coast to Coast AM, we get like 100 members a day. But since I'm on here, um, I'm obviously going to tell people in the group about it, and I will open the group up for people to join. There are a couple questions. Um, please fill those out so we know that you're a real person and uh, we'll let you into the group. And it's a good group. I'm part of it. And a lot of people post a lot of interesting theories and they also post a lot of, you know, missing people stuff. And I mean, if you know of a case and you want it out there, hit Mike up, you can hit us up here. You know, we're always looking for stories too, but if you want to discuss it, that's the place to go because this is a very interesting topic. Mike, my brother, thanks for coming on and talking with me on this serial snippet. Uh, well, thanks for having it's me been on. Real. Anytime, dude. And we're going to we're going to have you back on a full episode because I think we're going to dig into this a little bit more towards the end of the year. I want to get a little bit more into this uh, because there's some other cases that I've been looking into that I would like some people who are into this kind of things inside on. It's a, it's about a little kid who disappeared out of nowhere in Hazard, Kentucky. And uh, it's a strange case. So, yeah. OK, sounds interesting. Yeah, I'm for it. So, guys. Thanks for listening to the serial snippet. Uh, as you know, you can find us on every platform. We're everywhere now. Uh, you can go to Audio Boom and you can subscribe from there, or you can, you know, click on your little subscribe button wherever you download podcasts. Uh, we'll be back again with another uh, episode next week. We're probably going to be weekly for now on. You know, episode snippet, episode snippet, like we did last year. But we got a lot of cool stuff lined up for this year. And so go to uh, check us out, add us to your your RSS feeds and uh, wherever you subscribe. Um, and also, we are doing a Patreon for Paranormal Warehouse. Go to ParanormalWarehouse.com and you can subscribe to become a Patreon. And you will get our podcast a week before everybody else with some other cool stuff. Uh, we will be doing live streams this year from some of these locations that we investigate and you guys will get access to that if you are a Patreon. So I want you guys to be part of that. Annie wants you guys to be part of that. Mike and uh, Briggs from Paranormal Warehouse want you to be part of that too. So go on to ParanormalWarehouse.com and become a Patreon and you'll get some cool swag and some cool stuff. Guys, until next time, be aware and be safe. Thank you for listening to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. Find us weekly on all your podcasting platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you subscribe. Our theme song was written and produced by Annie Weibel for Serial Spirits, the podcast. Check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Serial Spirits. You can always find Serial Spirits on www.paranormalwarehouse.com. Check out all the amazing shows that Paranormal Warehouse has to offer. Also on Twitter at Serial Spirits. Guys, be aware and be safe. We'll see you next time.